Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, guys? It's your boys, John Lee. And Jack Coughlin. And today we have another very special guest with us today. You know him as the former voice of the LA Clippers. He just had a book release called Bingo, 40 Years in the NBA, his memoir that he's been working on. Ralph Lawler, welcome to the pod. How are you doing? It's my pleasure, John and Jack. Glad to see you both. Thank you again for just coming on. It, it's huge for us, like as Clipper fans. We started when we were like kids, like over a decade ago, and you're the first voice we hear, whether it was KTLA or Prime Ticket, you and Mike yeah. Smith. So it's like, it's so amazing to actually like be able to talk to you today. So thank you again for doing this. Here's a photo. This is from 10 years ago, Ralph. I was the biggest fan. I got a photo with you oh. when I was about 11 <laughs> oh, years old. Oh, and great. I remember I I came, I came up to take the photo and you go, selfie time. And my dad and I loved it. We, my dad and I literally to this day will still say all of your Lawlerisms, every single thing you would say, bingo, Lawler's Law, Fastener Seatbelts. It's, it's our favorite thing ever. So you really have made such an amazing impact on all Clipper fans and all NBA fans. You're, you're a legend. You're a legend. I appreciate that. Thank you. So, um, so I want to get into this. So your book just released yesterday, bingo, 40 years in the NBA. I actually just ordered mine on Amazon. So that'll be coming soon. Um, I want to know when and why did you realize you wanted to write a memoir? Well, I, I don't know if I thought of it as a, me- as a memoir, but somewhere late in the years when I was working and I, I could see that the end was coming. Maybe when I, I knew two years before, uh, I retired, that I was going to retire. I suppose in, in that two-year window, I started kind of thinking about, my God, what am I going to do when this ends? And um, I, I kind of felt like I had a book inside of me. I just did not know what it was or, or how to get it out, tell you the truth. I'd have people saying, oh, you ought to write a book. And I go, yeah, I guess I ought to, but I don't know, you know, I don't know a darn thing about writing a book. And um, so... Once we, uh, you know, k- kind of went through the uh, decommissioning from from working for a living to to being retired, um, I started thinking about it, and uh, we wound up uh, moving to Florida during the winter and spend our summers where I am now in Bend, Oregon. And summer is over here, by the way. We got snow on the ground, but. Um, uh, I said, what is it going to be? And I, I really kind of had in mind a history of the NBA uh, and then obviously a, a history of of the Clippers from the, their birth to the present day. And uh, I went from publisher to publisher to publisher, you know, literary agent to literary agent until I landed with um, Santa Monica Press, which is a, a leading West Coast publisher. And... Uh, probably named Jeffrey Goldman, who kind of directed me on on how to write a book. And he thought it should be uh, a combination m- memoir and history book. And that's what it it winds up in the end result being. So I want to know, was there any 
particular moment? So you said it was like the last two years. You kind of yeah. realized you wanted to yeah. do it. Um, was there any moment in those last two years where like, wow, that would be great in a book? Because uh, I don't know. The organization was different um, in your last two years compared to your other years. Yeah. With the- so <laughs> was there anything in the last two years like, oh, I got to put that in the book? No, I, I didn't think of it that uh, along. I was busy just finishing up uh, my career in those last, especially the last year was very intense with all the attention that was given to uh, to my 40th year. And then the, the it, it just, no, it didn't occur to me. Till I, I got done, then I sat down and I have pretty good recall of things. So uh, I'd, I'd make a note. Uh, sometimes I'd wake up in the middle of the night and think of something and I wouldn't write it down. Next morning I'm thinking, now what the hell was that? And I have no idea what it was, that great idea that I had at four o'clock in the morning. But uh, uh, I, I read the book now and I go, oh boy, I wish I had told this story or that story. But uh, I think you could write a thousand pages and you'd think, oh, God, one more page would be just perfect. So whatever. That's it a, is what it is. It, it is what it is. And it's like, uh, you do you did mention like all that attention um, on your 40th year. Well, 40 years is incredible. To do 40 years of one thing, doesn't matter what it is. is of anything. Uh, <laughs> of, yeah, is a remarkable feat. Um, I want to know, so when did you first realize that broadcasting was something you wanted to do? Was it a little later in your like teens or something, or was it always like within you as a kid? I, I was really lucky, guys, in growing up in Peoria, Illinois, <clears throat> which just became a, a birthplace of so many terrific broadcasters. Started off, they would uh, start their career in Peoria. They'd move to Chicago. Jack Brickhouse, Jack Quinlan were guys that wanted to do Chicago Cubs and White Sox. Fox games for years. They started in Peoria broadcasting Bradley basketball. And then it was uh, Chick Hearn and Tom Kelly and uh, Bill King, uh, Bob Starr, uh, all of whom wound up moving to the West Coast. And um, so I listened to those guys from the time I was seven, eight years old uh, on through my, my high school years. And uh, Chick actually broadcast a couple of my high school basketball games and he would come and speak at our annual Letterman's Award uh, ceremonies and he made the move to Los Angeles and that started the parade and the rest of us just uh, kind of followed and I, I never dreamed as a seven, eight-year-old kid that I'd be a broadcaster someday but in 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 college uh, I I switched majors from business to I uh, wanted to be with uh, my girlfriend. And so we took a bunch of courses in speech and drama and radio and television and the speaking voice and all this stuff. And uh, I, the, the, the professor would, would like cite me as being outstanding. It never happened when I was taking an accounting class or a you know, uh, course in economics. So I thought, this is pretty cool. And so that really, in the middle of my junior year of college, uh, I think the first time I heard my voice come out of a speaker uh, from a tape recording, I said, uh-oh, this is what I want to do for life. And so some guys go through their 20s, 30s, and 40s, mm-hmm. don't know what the hell they want to do you know, with their life. So I, I was really, it was just dumb luck. 
So you mentioned like Chick Hearn, all those other guys from Peoria. I believe Sean Livingston is also from Peoria, right? Oh, uh, he and I went to the same high school. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember him interrupting you during a broadcast once yeah. about yeah, uh, Peoria, and that's the yeah. only reason why I remember that fact. But um, uh, I want to note, growing up, you mentioned all those other guys um that you listened to growing up. Were they your main uh, inspirations, or were there um, also like new school guys that as you came into the business that also inspired you like for jack and i it's like mike breen kevin harlan you like joel myers when he was doing the lakers he's doing the pelicans now is there anyone from like the generation after you that you kind of stole some bits or that kind of inspired you no i i don't think i i stole bits but i i came out here and uh obviously chick was working here uh doing the lakers uh uh, Tom Kelly was broadcasting, <clears throat> excuse me, USC football and basketball. Uh, Bill King was doing the, the the first iteration of the LA Raiders uh, in, in town. And so those guys that I had heard as a youngster in Peoria, I was now hearing as a young broadcaster. I was living in Riverside, California, working for a radio station. And all those guys were on the air one night or another and uh so they continued to you know inspire me if, if nothing else i i can inspire is probably what they really did and yeah i i would say that um because you have a lot of original things your own like your lawlerisms that um jack brought up uh like lawler's law first 200 wins fasten your seatbelts bingo the lob the jam i want to know how did you come up with those were they like on the fly or is it something that you're like oh that would be pretty good let me throw it in a broadcast well, I, I tell a lot of young broadcasters say I, I want to get a, a catchphrase, and I say don't even think about it; it'll just happen, or it won't. If it doesn't happen, it's no big deal. If it does, it'll be a, a worthwhile tool for you to use as a part of your uh, nightly uh, broadcast. But uh, uh, all those came about differently. Bingo! We had the first year of the three-point shot in the NBA was 1979-80. And the Clippers acquired a player from the Cleveland Cavaliers. His name was Bobby Bingo Smith. And so whenever Bobby would make a three-pointer, I'd go bingo. And uh, pretty soon I'd be walking into the arena and fans would go, hey, bingo. And I go, oh, okay. So I used it, you know, whenever a three-point shot was made. So that just kind of happened uh, because of Bobby Bingo Smith. I owe him uh, that. He should be on, on the book title, I guess. Uh, <laughs> The others were, were probably stolen or something I said once and somebody said, that was fun when you said, oh, me, oh, my. I said, oh, really? And so it became a very valuable tool because it could be an exclamation of a marvelous dunk by Blake Griffin, or it could be in frustration over an opponent's three-point shot that would sink the Clippers' ship and said much differently with different you know tone, intonation, and uh, intention. But... Um, they're all fun, and it just they just kind of happen. I, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna sneeze. Bless you, oh, bless you. We got we got Never a live round on the air, and it has happened now on the podcast. <laughs> First time for everything. We're truly honored. That's an honor. Well, oh, talk boy. to me as well about uh, your relationship with Mike Smith, because that was the main guy we got to see you do commentary with was Mike Smith, especially during those Lob City days. And I always thought you guys had great chemistry together. Uh, with his insight, being a former player and Clipper, and 
and your commentary. So talk to me about how you guys gained that chemistry. Well, I kind of discovered Mike as a broadcaster. He was uh, uh, a former BYU star who had, had kind of a failed uh year and a half with the Boston Celtics after being, I think, the 14th pick in the draft one year and was labeled the next Larry Bird. And that was pretty tough baggage to carry and because uh, he was no Larry Bird, but there aren't many who are as, as good as Larry was. Uh, uh, but in retirement, he was working as a color commentator for uh, some Brigham Young games on TV and I was in Salt Lake City uh, the night before a, a Clipper Jazz game and had the TV on and and, and Mike was on. And I, I did not know Mike personally at the time, but knew of him, knew who he was. And uh, I thought, well, he's got a good sound. I, I think he really should be a play-by-play guy uh, because the, the name and his accomplishments as a pro weren't such a, Oh boy, I want to see what Charles Barkley says. It was, it was Mike Smith. And so I wind up going back to, to uh, LA and um, we want, it was a, a lockout year and we had an opening for a, a, a guy that would do color for me when I did television and would do color for me when I did radio. And when I was doing TV, when I, was, when I was doing TV, he'd do radio play-by-play. And so I, I thought of Mike and find out he lives about two blocks uh, away from me uh, in Orange County at the time. And so I got a hold of Mike and said, do you have any interest in broadcasting? And he said, well, I've been kind of messing with it a little bit. And I said, well, he would literally walk from his house to my house and we'd sit in front of a, a TV screen and uh, I, I had the videotape of a Clipper Dallas Maverick game and put it in with the sound off and uh, gave him a few tips on let's have you do some play by play. And uh, he wasn't a natural fit for anybody. It's not, it's, it's a tougher job than, than people think it is. He just was talking almost in monotone like this about Smith passes the ball to Brown, Brown shows it to black, black shoots and scores Clippers lead. And I said, come on, Mike, I need like, a hundred times more enthusiasm and energy from you. And he got to, he was very, very good. And um, so we made a recording of that and sent it to the powers to be with uh, uh, the radio station and uh, with the ball club. And they said, yeah, he sounds just like you. And I said, well, I, I guess that's natural because that's where he's learned the craft. And uh, so uh, he and his, his wife at the time and the kids became, friends and we'd drive to games together, uh, carpool. Uh, and it was a, a, a very good fit. And uh, uh, years later, uh, I can just tell you things things changed. And in, in my mind, Mike wasn't the, the same guy uh, 15 years in that he was when he first joined us. He had uh, a new wife, a new family, and a a new uh, persona really that uh, nobody was comfortable with it. And I was told uh, late in his final season that he would not be back. And that had been approved by the owner and by the management and the basketball staff. And, and I go, okay. Uh, it made it kind of awkward the first final few weeks of the year, because I knew that uh, he would not be back. But uh, 
we we did not have a a good parting. He did not have a good parting with the basketball team, and it's it's one of the, the sadder uh, things that I recollect on from my years broadcasting the games. Well, I wanted to know what goes most unnoticed about the job, and do you have pregame prep? Because obviously, we just see what goes on on the television and listening to you. But what else? What are some of the intricacies about it, and what goes unnoticed with the job? Well, nobody realizes uh, how much work goes into the preparation for the job. Uh, I work pretty much 365 days a year because all summer long up here in in Oregon. Uh, I'd, I'd be get up in the morning and I would go online and I would uh, bring out and, and print up or cut and paste or file uh, stories about players, that things that you would read in July and August that uh, get forgotten come the season. So I had this file when we'd play, uh, you know, pick a team, and I had a file on JaVale McGee and I had three or four stories on JaVale McGee that I could use uh, whenever we played, you know, against him. And that was several hours every day in the off season. Uh, during the season, each game is probably uh, five to seven hours of preparation. Depends upon uh, how recently you saw the team. If you saw the team last week, obviously it's not as much uh, work to do, but um more against Eastern Conference teams. You only see them twice rather than four times a year. Uh, but just a, a lot of work. Uh, every broadcaster has his own uh, sheet that he works with. Uh, I, 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 would, I kept score always because I always had, and I just, we, we had the stat monitor, which had all the information there. But uh, on many occasions, the stat monitor would go blank. Something would go wrong electronically. And if you didn't have that, you wouldn't know if Blake Griffin had two points or 25 points uh, or rebounds or whatever. And so I, I did that. And on that sheet, I'd have all my little notes, teases about things I wanted to be able to talk about uh, during the course of the game. And no two broadcasters have, have the same system, but we'd have annual meetings in New York of all the, the league broadcasters and you, you'd you compare notes and you, Oh, that's, that's a good idea. I want to do that. I want to incorporate that. And uh, so it used to all be done by hand. And then now it's all done by computer pretty much. Uh, and the, the job on game day was to fill that sheet up with uh, as much good information as you can possibly come up with and all the stats that you think might be meaningful. And now of course today with, analytics there's so much more stuff available than than there used to be uh, and I, I think sometimes broadcasters today get a little bit uh, overly analytical uh, I don't need to know that somebody's shooting 36.7 percent from the right corner and 42.3 from the left all I need to do is the guy's a much better shooter from the left corner than the right and I can ask the analyst, you know, wh why is that? Why is this guys have favorite spots in the court? And then you get into a, a meaningful conversation. But nobody's going to say, did you know that uh, Batum shoots 42.3% from the right corner and only 35% from the left? Nobody knows that. But they might know he's better from the right corner, which he is, than he is from the left. And watching, you'll see that tonight.
we're very excited for that game tonight. Nothing like the Battle of LA games. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's really interesting to interesting to hear about all those little things that go into it and how much effort you really have to put into it. Like even when we interviewed Brian, there's just so much more than you think. So much preparation. Oh, yeah. So much during the live broadcast. Yeah. Hey, Brian, it's really Brian's a worker bee. I mean, Brian, uh, he he puts in his work uh, each and every night, and it shows on the air. Uh, and that that's one of the things that uh, attracted me to him when he he first got the job. Was this guy's a worker. Uh, we hired a guy some years ago who had been primarily a baseball man. And I thought, oh, baseball, you've got to do your homework because you got all that spare time to fill. And the guy didn't do a lick of work before a game. He would show up with the program. And he did that with with baseball. He'd pull out the press guide and he would just read stuff out of the press guide. Like, oh, so that that one didn't work out uh, real well. But but Brian, uh, he'll he'll be more than ready each and every night and that's 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 a great actor yeah speak speaking of brian we actually had him on a couple months ago uh and he spoke glowingly of you as well like uh you guys going on the road we heard like an insane story about your liver and how you can handle many like drinks and <laughs> and we were in disbelief and he said he's told us that you've never had a hangover in your life is that true because that does not sound real. Never as an adult. I think as a as a college kid, I was foolish a few times and 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 had a hangover. And I just I just don't. But uh, regardless of what that story tells you, I am I am not a teetotaler, but I am not a heavy drinker. Uh, my wife and I will have a drink for dinner uh, three or four nights a week, and and that's it. But. Uh, uh, but Brian and I did have did have some fun, uh, and and sometimes the fun went late into the evening, mm-hmm. and uh, the later it goes, the, the more drinks would, would yeah. flow. But we had we had a good time, and the next morning uh, he'd be like, "Oh my God!" And I'd, "Hey Brian, how you doing? Let's go to practice." <laughs> he'd go, oh jeez, <laughs> so that was fun. Yeah, that that's what he told us. And that was like our takeaway was like how yeah. you guys would go late. You guys would be like the life of the party um, and how you you were just a machine, basically. But how close you guys were. Uh, but I want to know what that's how you guys personally. What were some things you made sure to instill in him for his career in broadcasting? Well, I, it was more what what he wanted, not, not that I felt that I had uh, any great gifts to give him, but he was uh, a young guy in his early thirties when he first uh, joined the ball club. And uh, he, he was, he was thirsty for, for knowledge. And uh, so I, I shared, uh, we, we, we'd listened to uh, tapes of his radio broadcasts and uh, it, it'd be little things like when he first started with the Clippers, he always called the Clippers Los Angeles. Los Angeles, and I said, no, no, there, there's two L.A. teams here. We're the Clippers, we, or the L.A. Clippers. You, you can't just say Los Angeles is winning or Los Angeles is losing. Uh, and, hey, oh, yeah, it's okay. And so that was just like a, an easy fix. And that's how simple most of the fixes were because he came in uh, with a really good foundation as a, as a broadcaster. I, I, I think that uh, – the transition from radio to television is is not an easy one. Um, it, it took me some years, and I think that Brian is 
better as a TV announcer each year than he was the year before. And I think in two or three years, he'll have it perfectly. But what the broadcaster has to do is learn to see the game as a television announcer, not as a radio announcer. And that that may sound very easy to you, uh, but it, it's not easy. If you've been doing it for years on radio, you, you have to describe each and everything that happens. Uh, until, you don't have to describe anything. The, the the camera, the screen describes everything. You can give reasons for it. You can uh, react to it, but you don't need to describe every bounce of the basketball. And uh, that's just a part of the a part of the process. But uh, Brian is way ahead of the curve. Uh, I listen to broadcasters all over the darn league, and uh, he he's uh, a part of the cream of the crop. There's no question about it. Yeah, no, he he made a really great first impression, I believe, on Clipper fans right away. Because as much as we loved you, we love him immediately. Oh, sure. Uh, even uh, like if you're driving home and you can't really catch a game on TV, you would still hear his voice. You're, you're kind of like a little accustomed to him going through that. And then the to be able to transition that into like telling a story, um, that's what I think I learned the most from speaking with him was that Every broadcast is a story. That's why when he, uh, when the pregame starts, it says our story begins or our story continues here. And I feel like that's something that um, hits with me is that he's trying to uh, tell us a story about this basketball team and their season. Is that something that you also had of the same philosophy? Oh yeah, I, I think storytelling is is the whole. That's what the job is, and it's easier to do on television than it is on radio where you have to describe pretty much every, you know, bounce of the basketball. But uh, uh, I've always said, tell a story and people will talk about it tomorrow, give them a fact, give them a statistic, and they're not going to remember that. Uh, if you can, if you can use, a, use a statistic, fit it into the story, make it a part of the story rather than like the story. As numbers just go over people's heads. Uh, uh, aside from the, the, there are some, you know, nerds out there that, uh, and I don't don't say that in a negative term, but uh, nerds that just are, are, are go nuts over numbers, and that's and that's great. But now with uh, the bomber vision and so on, you got it where you can look on the screen, you can see that uh, Reggie is thirty six percent from here, and then he dribbles his right, and he's forty two percent from there, and uh, the the players' names follow them wherever they go on the floor. Um, the the role of, of a broadcaster is evolving, changing, uh, and I think I got out at just the right time. I, I yeah, but you also made the most of your time. I think you left at like the right transition into the a little more analytical because you're you're really good at uh, old school and uh, a little bit of the new school as well as um, before everyone's like calling out you like you said like the advanced stats like all that things um and the things that hit us the most are um like the emphasis that you have when calling a game like the signature phrases i want to know what are your favorite like bingos and oh me oh my's or the law of the jam that you've had like the ones that come to mind for us are like the shamit game winner against the warriors in 2019 and then like uh blake griffin's dunk over kendrick perkins what are some of your favorites that you've called well you've hit some vital ones there and you know landry shamit wasn't with us very long 
but the one you mentioned was huge. And then his very first game uh, as a Clipper was in Boston against the Celtics. The Celtics jumped out to like a 25-point lead before anybody was had their seats warm yet. And then in the second half, still down by 20, I think, uh, Shamus started knocking down three-pointers left and right. And every time he, he made one, I, I just about lost my voice uh, and, and screamed myself hoarse because they were just one bingo after another by this guy that we didn't know very much about. He had just joined the ball club as the first game. And uh, so those stand out. And and the Blake Griffin dunks, which wound up carrying the name of a Mozgov or a Gasol or whoever that it was, all those. And DeAndre Jordan had as many of them as as anybody. those two guys paired up with Chris Paul, uh, it brought Lob City to life and were uh, a broadcaster's delight. I had a, a similar experience when I was in Philadelphia doing 76er games the first year that Julius Irving uh, joined the ball club. These guys are before your time. I realize that, but that they, they live on uh, in in the eyes of present day. Uh, NBA fans as well, because Dr. J was a one of a kind, uh, just a, a ballet type uh, performer uh, on the court. He was an artist, and his dunks were just never seen before. Um, some perhaps never seen since. Um, so I had that experience there, and then I was reminded of that when when Blake joined us. And then when he had <clears throat> Chris Paul to throw him, <clears throat> sorry guys, <clears throat> to throw him the lobs, uh, it was it was great. I mean, I I, I can't pick out one uh, over the other, but uh, there were a lot of them. That whole Lob City era was just a a marvelous experience. Uh, I, as I recall, every single game Chris Paul played in his six years was a sellout, and. That had never happened anywhere close to that. Uh, and th- th- there have been not a lot of empty seats since, but there have been some empty seats since. Uh, Chris Paul was um, an, an underrated, super-duper star with that group. He made all of them around him look so much better, from J.J. Reddick to the big guys. Yeah, so were you able to notice, like, an immense drastic shift when it was Blake Griffin and Chris Paul joining the team compared to what the Clippers had kind of been in their not so great reputation throughout the years and a lot of losing. Were you able to notice that immense change and the excitement that they were able to bring to the franchise? Yeah. I said the drafting of Blake Griffin was the, the, the first step towards respectability for the franchise. I, I think it had, you know, brief moments with Elton Brand and with Danny Manning and, <clears throat> that group of four and with uh you know Quentin Richardson and Darius Miles and that group they had their uh little you know mini uh, uh period where they were really spectacular and fun to watch but when when Blake came he was the consensus number one college player you know in the country there was no question that he was gonna be the first pick in the draft and then of course he winds up uh, getting injured and misses the, that entire year, but it was well worth the wait. Uh, and then with DeAndre Jordan and Chris Paul 
and then the hiring of Doc Rivers, uh, th those four were the, the quartet that really put uh, the basketball franchise uh, on the map. And, and many of Del Negro gets some credit too, because he did a nice job uh, in the year before Doc got here. Poor Vinny won 56 games, uh, a franchise record, and got let go at the end of the season. Uh, but uh, they wanted and needed uh, Doc's uh, leadership, his championship pedigree, and uh, they got it. And uh, I think were it not for some very unfortunate, very untimely injuries, uh, primarily to Griffin and Paul, I think that team would have won a championship. Yeah, injuries, <clears throat> they're still hitting us to this day a little bit now yeah. with Kawhi, yeah. of course. They're they're no fun. You definitely need a lot of luck to really win that championship. Uh, what was your relationship like with Doc Rivers especially? Uh, it was exceptional. Now, I had known Doc when he was a player in Atlanta. Uh, then he came to Los Angeles to play with us for the Clippers on a, on a very good uh, playoff team. Uh, so I knew him as an opposing player, then as, you know, a, a, a Clipper player. And then when he retired as a broadcaster, he worked a few games with me and, of course, worked a lot of games uh, on network television. It was unnatural for it. And I would see him uh, during that period. Then he became a coach in Orlando and a coach in Boston, and I would see him uh, twice a year at least uh, with those teams, and uh, we'd remain friendly. We'd get together not just in the media scrum with all the, the writers and uh, the coach, but but privately we'd meet before each of those games and uh, check in on family and friends. And, uh, and then when he joined us, I was, and this is detailed in, in the book, uh, I was ready to retire in 2014 after the 13-14 season and uh, no, 12-13 season, I guess it was, but uh, Vinny's last year, whatever it was. And uh, my wife and I, we had an apartment in Marina Del Rey and we had boxes packed and ready to uh, move up here to Oregon. We hadn't told the ball club or the people at Fox Sports at the time what our plans were, but um, we got, got a call from Fox saying, we're going to have a news conference announcing Doc Rivers as the head coach. Will you come and like MC it on TV? I said, sure. So I go in and go up to the coach's office to give Doc a hug and say, welcome. I'm thrilled to death that you're here. And he said, oh, it's going to be great working with you. This is going to be terrific. We're going to have more fun. And I go, gee whiz, it would be a lot of fun working, you know, with Doc. And I said, you know, my wife's been traveling with me on the team plane and team buses uh, for the past 10 years or so. Would you be okay to continue that? And he said, we're not going to change that. So I go home and my wife and I, we start unpacking our boxes. <clears throat> so... I got six more years uh, as a result of that, uh, and that's if it weren't for Doc, I, I wouldn't have wouldn't have had those. But he was uh, a, a great friend, a, a great mentor. Uh, people don't realize what he did for the franchise. They we get frustrated by losses, frustrated by second round and out, and. Uh, 
blame Doc for that. Uh, I can understand that as a as a fan, but especially after Steve Bomber came in, uh, and and Doc helped us survive that awful mess that was we're left with by Donald Sterling, and uh, he kept that franchise afloat because we we had no owner, we had no team president because Andy Roser was was brushed aside. Doc was it. I mean, he he was all there was uh, to to keep the team afloat and keep us all together and keep us all hopeful that somehow this is going to work out and he'd be in touch with this ownership group and that ownership group and he'd come back and report it's going to be okay, I think. And and Bomber got the job, got, got the job, bought the team for two billion dollars, and uh, uh, almost immediately uh, promoted Doc. Uh, the team president, which might not have been the best move for Doc, because uh, it's very difficult to be a coach and to, to run a uh, team's basketball operation. But uh, he, he would go to Bomber after each season. Uh, and, and Bomber, despite his wealth, is not going to just open his checkbook and say, just spend whatever you want to spend. You'd have to like justify it. And he'd say, we've got to have a, a bigger, better training medical staff. We just, it's going to cost an extra million dollars or $2 million or whatever the figures were. And we went from having, you know, a single trainer and maybe an assistant trainer to having uh, the, 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 the team plane was filled with people. Uh, there, there'd be two chiropractors, there'd be two masseuses, there'd be uh, a nutritionist uh, and all these people but all these were the, the, the top franchises around the league had these people and Doc knew it. And he went to Bomber and said, we, we got to do it. And so, so that was that the next night, next year would be, we have to have more in the analytics department. We're just, we're way, way behind uh, analytically with, with you pick your team. And uh, so they, they'd spend the money there. The, the, the coaching staff went from, uh, maybe three assistant coaches and now they must have seven, eight, nine of them. You know, the, the basketball staff is just huge. And all that uh, is because of Doc Rivers. Uh, it was Doc that covered up the uh, the Laker banners uh, on a Clipper home game. You never felt like it was your home court when you'd look up and you'd see all the Laker banners and all the retired numbers and stuff. Doc, one of his very first things he did was cover that up. So what he did for this franchise uh, will be felt for many, many years to come. And I, I hope that the day will come where Clipper fans will uh, accept that and say, thank God we had those seven years of Doc Rivers because he made a huge imprint uh, on this franchise. I agree. I think, yeah, I agree. Fans, definitely. It's great to hear you say that, especially for the fans listening, because some of them still have that bad taste in their mouth oh, from yeah. the bubble collapse, of course, and put a lot of blame on him. Yeah. But you're totally right. The amount he's done for the franchise and the positives he was able to bring for us is is second to none, really. He's, he's done amazing things. And that and plane was, sounds really fun to be on with all the masseuses right. and the chiropractors. Wow. Yeah. And plus, he was a great mentor to, to Ty Lue, who's one of the outstanding young coaches in the league right now. Uh, I mean, he mentored Ty from when, when he when he played for Doc in Orlando uh, to 
his bench role in Boston and twice hired him uh, here with the Clippers before he uh, rightly got the job to replace Doc. And uh, he's going to have a, a long career and more championships in, in his resume before he's done. But he owes a lot of who he is as a coach to Doc Rivers as well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, totally. We've Clipper fans have been, you know, we love Ty Lue, especially so far, especially with his in-game adjustments and just in that 2021 playoff run, the way we were able to go down 0-2 in both of those series and then, of course, come back and win both of them. And then in those final couple games without Kawhi, I mean, we attest a lot of that to Ty Lue and the way he's able to adjust and the basketball mind he has. Yeah. And it, he, he's been he's been amazing so far. Um, so what about your last season where you had that rotating cast of commentators, um, you know, with Don McClain, Corey Maggette, Mike Fratello, Bill Walton, Ryan Hollins, you know, tell me about that. And was it hard or difficult to have chemistry with different ones and it constantly rotating? Was it slightly difficult to put on a smooth show each time and adjust to each person? What was that like? It was interesting. I mean, and you had to add Billy Crystal to that and add uh, Hubie Brown to that list uh, of uh, guest commentators that season. I, I was really honored when we approached the final year, uh, they, they'd asked me, what, what do you want to do? How, how do you want to do this? And I said, well, I'd, I'd like to work with some people that uh, meant something special along the way. And uh, you know, Billy volunteered without even asking him which was quite an honor. I most of all wanted another night with Bill Walton because uh, uh, Bill and I had 13, uh, you know, wacky, wonderful years uh, together. And uh, so he wound up joining me for our, our final regular season game uh, at what was then Staples Center. And and all the rest of the guys were, were important parts of uh, my years uh you know, calling games for the team, and it was great being with them. But from a purely uh, broadcast standpoint, it, it, it was awkward as awkward as hell, uh, because uh, a partner on the air is is a lot like uh, a marriage partner, uh, and and you guys are young, but the day will come where I hope you have a long and happy marriage, uh, if that's what you want in your life. And it, a good marriage is one of the best things in the whole world. A bad marriage is one of the worst things in the whole world. But even a good marriage has its good days and its bad days. And you have that with a partner if they're with you all 82 games, which is in my that's the ideal, is because you really get you get into a rhythm and a flow, and you know when to toss a zinger, when to have a guy come in and go out and. It's just uh, a great thing. It was so from that standpoint, it was tough, um, but it was it was that the whole last season was too much about me, uh, not enough about 
the team, which was an exciting, um, mediocre team that rose uh, to a level of being very, very competitive night in and night out. Um, one big comeback after another. They were just such delightful guys to be around. Uh, Montrez Harrell was this big, tough, mean-looking guy. Uh, he would uh, get on the on the team plane. Joe, my wife Joe and I would be. Oh, I, I can't say the first people because Brian Seaman was always the first person on the plane. But we would be the second and third people on the plane for a for a road trip at the airport. And uh, Montrez would would get on with with the players, and he would walk to the back of the plane, which is where we broadcasters sat, and he would have silk screened uh, a, a picture of me uh, or a Hall of Fame thing, or uh, just and he had like three or four or five of these t shirts that each time he'd get on a plane, he'd walk back and say, "Look at this," and I, I mean, how stinking sweet is that? And I, I don't think the average fan looked at Montrez and thought, oh, but that's a really sweet guy. But that was a really sweet guy. And I'm glad he's back with, with Doc now in, in Philadelphia. Uh, I, I wish he could have been a, a slipper for life because he was a, a very good player and just a terrific guy. But that just meant so much that, that this guy felt that was important to do and uh, to honor this, this, this old guy. And so that... That, that was great. We had a, a lot of very, very happy occasions that, uh, that final year, and uh, Doc was behind uh, many of them, too. That's amazing to hear. He, he's awesome. I, I wish him the, the best of luck with Doc and Philly. It's cool to see them, you know, coming back together as yeah. a duo, Doc and him yeah. and Philly. And, yeah, of course that's important. Every single player should have been doing that for you on the plane, <laughs> I feel like. <laughs> That that's great to hear. Um, do you ever wish though that you got to call any games during this new Kawhi and Paul George era that's been going on? No, I have no regrets at all. Uh, I I found it kind of ironic. Uh, my, my wife and I had, had gone to bed that night that, that they announced the signing, and and just before lights were out, I said, "Let me let me check my phone," and I do. Oh my God, there it is! They got not one; they got both guys. And I, oh boy, that is terrific, uh, and I. I thought I, I was excited for Brian. I thought, what a great way to start his TV career. He's going to have these guys to broadcast, and they should be a championship contending team for you know years to come. And I was just I was just happy for happy for Brian Seaman. Uh, I thought that was that was great. I I have not uh, looked back for one second. I haven't I haven't missed broadcasting at all, which is amazing to me because I did it for 60 years guys and uh, uh, with the basketball team for 40 years you, you think I naturally would be missing it uh, I just not at all we, we miss the people you know I miss miss Brian I miss guys in the coaching staff people in the front office some of the ushers and security people in the arena and 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 the entire group that we traveled with it'd be 50 people packed onto that airplane and they became your family for the better part of seven months each year. We miss those associations. And we, we miss the travel a little bit because it's it's first class. You're flying charter flights. You're staying at, you know, Four Seasons and Ritz-Carlton's. And uh, they they give you $135 or something a day uh, per diem to, 
to spend and you can't really spend it because the team t- keeps giving you breakfast, they give you lunch, they give you dinner, they serve you after the game at the arena, and then you get on the plane and there's a buffet waiting for you. Uh, so I guess I guess I miss being pampered like that a little bit, but uh, that's it. I, I I I don't miss the work at all. I uh, this book has taken a lot of my time the last uh, two three years, and uh, I'm already working on another one, and uh, so that'll take care of my next couple of two or three years. And uh, it's just just I'm just so lucky to have such a great life to look back on. Yeah, you you really made the most of your life, and that's something we can all admire, especially us uh, at our age. I think it's inspiring. Uh, well, I challenge us. you to do it yourself. <laughs> yeah, we we're trying our best. So well, do it. We are. Um, I want to know. So you don't really miss uh, too much about broadcasting. So what's your favorite part about retirement so far? I'd say not having to deal with bullshit, uh, because w- when you're working for somebody, you said you were at work today and had to work late. Uh, it's impossible if you're working for somebody else, you're dealing with some bullshit. I mean, right. because what, what what they want cannot possibly be the, exactly what, what you want. And uh, uh, I, I had a, a great relationship with the people, the Clippers. I had a great relationship with the people, with the, the TV people and the radio people that I worked with, but still there was bullshit to deal with. It's about why don't you do more of this? Why not? Why don't you do the, the and you go, Oh man. And, uh, it, it is really nice to just say, no bullshit in my life now, folks. Just none. But a little, little touch of it with the book, a little bit. Uh, an editor would, you know, come on. <laughs> but uh, that that that's about it. And uh, so I have, I was very lucky that my wife is a huge, huge basketball fan, and that she traveled with us, so we were not separated, uh, which most broadcasters certainly are and coaches uh, in in all of professional sports, but we're together all the time. And uh, it, she's just the greatest friend, the greatest companion that uh, a man could ever have uh, you know, half a year in the splendor of the great Northwest and half a year uh, in the gentle warmth of uh, Florida uh, after the humidity has gone, the mosquitoes are gone Hurricanes are gone. Then we go to Florida, and uh, that's pretty good life. Yeah, and, and we can't thank you enough for what you've done in retirement as much as what you've done during your career. So we're really excited for this book and then the next one that you'll come out. So before we let you go, um, here, here, what, here's the book right there. Oh, yeah, Bingo, 40 Years in the NBA bingo. by um, before we let you, Bingo. Yeah, <laughs> give him some royalty. <laughs> Uh, what can we be most excited about in this book? Well, I think everybody's going to take something different um, uh, out of it. Uh, to tell you the truth, John, to me, th- the most important message in the book is to help people realize how important the decisions they make in their life. Each decision is vital. Uh, the, the turns in the road, you think whether I turn left or right doesn't make a damn bit of difference. But it, it might change your life completely. Uh, a story, for, for, for example, uh, I got let go twice by the Clippers uh, over the years, in the, in the San Diego years. And um, <clears throat> one time, it was the year that Sterling bought the team. 
the team changed radio stations. Uh, the radio manager calls me in for lunch, and I figure he's going to give me like a big raise. And he said, "We just don't think you're partisan enough. Uh, you're you're not a, a separate fanatic. We want to have somebody that just you know lives and breathes. You you not sound like a, like a network announcer to us." So I I said, "Okay," and so I stepped aside. And I went into real estate and I was house sitting a magnificent home on the beach in Del Mar. And Joe, who was then my girlfriend, not my wife, uh, she, she's up there with me and we're, we had a pool. Do we want to get in the pool? Do we want to get in the jacuzzi? Do we want to go for a walk on the beach? We decided let's go for a walk on the beach. We could have gone north. We could have gone south. We turned south, and in 15 minutes, we're face-to-face with Donald Sterling and uh, Patty Simmons, who was his assistant general manager, and go, oh, oh hey, how you doing? And we, we exchanged glad hands, and, and I said, hey, we got this great house uh, up, up the beach. You want to come have a glass of wine and sit in the jacuzzi? And they go, yeah. So we make it up to the house, sit down in the jacuzzi and bring out some wine. And we're drinking wine and talking and laughing. And Sterling says, why don't you work for us anymore? And I said, well, <laughs> because I was let go. I said, well, I can change that. He said, call Ted Podolesky, who was the new gentleman. Call him tomorrow and you're back. And so they left. And Joe and I are like looking at each other in stunned disbelief. But the point was, if we'd turned north on the beach, my Clipper career would have lasted four years instead of 40. And so, so that's the thing. Everything you do is important. Be careful what, who, who you deal with on the way up because you might see them on the way down. Uh, life, is a, life is a challenge. And I am so lucky to have spent 60 years doing something that was never a day of work, not one day. I loved every day. It was like, it was like I was on recess, you know, all the time. And, uh, but, but that doesn't just happen. Part of it's good luck, but part of it is keeping your nose to the grindstone, uh, keeping your eye on the ball and making sure that your decisions are good decisions. And, and if you get lucky, and you head south on the beach instead of north, uh, that, that's great. But if it didn't, something good would have happened if I headed north. Something else good would have happened because I was going to make certain that something good happened. I might have been like a real estate mogul. Who knows? <laughs> that That's actually an incredible story. That's probably one of the few times that we'll be grateful for Donald Sterling. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I'm like so excited happy that you shared that with us and it makes me more excited to read the book and see more stories um that are like that but um i just want to say from us to just diehard clipper fans thank you again for just doing this it it's unfortunate we don't get to hear from you often obviously because you're relaxing and enjoying retirement but we're we're happy that you get to enjoy it um before you go is there anything you would like to say to the clipper fans well i'll see you soon uh which uh i i miss the Clipper fans so much. They were so good to me over the years, and uh, I loved interacting with them. You, you, know, uh, you sh- showed me the picture uh, from years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to have 
on the, the 17th, 18th, and 19th uh, of, of this month, uh, a couple of weeks from now, we're going to have uh, book signing opportunities, uh, one in San Diego at the San Diego Library on uh, night of the 17th from 7 till 9, then the next night at Barnes & Noble, The Grove, from 8 until 10, and Bill Walton will be joining me for both those, so we'll have a lot of fun, I guarantee you that, and uh, sign a lot of books and get a chance to see people face-to-face -face that I haven't seen, uh, you know, for almost well, three and a half years. Then the next night, the Clippers play the San Antonio Spurs at uh, the Crypt, and uh, we'll be there at the at the team store uh, before the game, signing books. Uh, they're they're going to have books in stock uh, at the team store, and uh, I'll, I'll get a chance to see everybody, which will really be fun. The, the only Clipper game that we've seen in person was uh, when they played the Toronto Raptors the pandemic year when the Raptors are playing their home games in Tampa and we were in Sarasota. So we drove up to see the game, but because of the restrictions, uh, because of the pandemic, we couldn't even go down and shake hands with Ty Lu or the members of the staff that we knew. We were like waving across, across the court to them. So it'll be fun to be able to go in and go to the locker rooms, see the, all the media people and uh, the many friends that we have that, uh, still go there to follow the Clippers, and I'm so glad they do, and I can't wait to see everybody. Well, we're excited to see you. I think I should be at that game um, oh, good. for the Spurs game. So if I get a chance, I'll come up uh, and meet you again. Uh, so We'll, uh, we'll we be can... seated We'll be seated right behind the Clipper bench. Okay. And uh, uh, so it'll, it'll be fun. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to stop by, but Again, thank you, thank you again for joining. It it means a lot that to have you on. Like having Brian on was amazing. Uh, having you on, uh, just about as fun, if not a little more fun. Sorry, Brian, but uh, we <laughs> love we loved every minute of this. Thank you guys so much. Get uh, again though. We can't hold on. We can't let him go. We we have to ask. Can we ever expect a return for maybe a special night of a Clipper game? Can we ever expect a return to the mic? Uh, I, I don't think so. I, I can't imagine that they would uh, want me to. Uh, if if they did, uh, I, I wouldn't mind sitting and not calling the game. Uh, that That's Brian's job. But uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be on uh, the telecast in the, in the pregame or something <clears throat> of that night and on, on the radio pregame. Uh, I, I don't think that... Uh, uh, Noah's working that night. Unfortunately, I don't think. Uh, talk about a sharp young broadcaster. Noah Eagle is, uh, I mean, he is so good. He, he is really something special. And I'm sorry, I'm going to, I think he has a football assignment. Uh, he told me that uh, that night. But uh, whatever. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I've, I've held the microphone for uh, the last time, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I've, I haven't worn a, a coat and tie. Uh, well, I guess I guess the Hall of Fame induction, which was September of 2019, that's the last time I've had a coat and tie on, and uh, I, I I I I really like what I'm doing right now. Well, we'll let you get back to what you're doing right now, so you can enjoy yourself. Enjoy <laughs> yeah, Martini. cocktail time, guys. Yeah, enjoy Martini. Enjoy <laughs> the Battle of LA. Uh, 
tonight. Uh, again, everyone, uh, buy Ralph's new book, Bingo, 40 Years in the NBA. Go to the signings. Uh, go meet the man. He's a great man. So uh, get the book. You can find him at Twitter at oh me, oh my, I believe. And yep. then um, you can find Jack at Jack Clippers and me at courtside underscore clips. Again, thank you guys for supporting us. And as always, go Clips. Okay, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ralph. Thank you so much, Ralph.